hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor. Coming to you right now from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Like to welcome all of our first time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I got a special episode of the podcast coming to you now, sponsored by our friends at Seattle Genetics, understanding patient finances, bills and co-pays and reimbursements, oh my, we're going to be talking all things medical finances on this special podcast. Join us as we're going to welcome Jan Nielsen, Vice President of Access and Patient Support at Cardinal Health Specialty Solutions for an in-depth conversation about life post-Obamacare. Navigating patient finances, accessing help for pharma, copays, and more. And with that, let's start our show. Let me get Jan on the line in just a second, and we'll kick it off right then and there. On the show, we're going to welcome Jan Nielsen, leader with Synexus Health, a group within Cardinal Health that partners with pharmaceutical companies to deliver reimbursement support and assistance programs for patients. It's going to be a great show. Please welcome Jan Nielsen. There we go. Hi, how are Hi, you? Hi, Jan. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. This is obviously probably one of the most nuanced, complicated issues in the country right now is dealing with just navigation of what it means to even be in the system to begin with. Yes, yeah. it is very, very difficult. Down the, uh, down the rabbit hole we go on this show, how did you get into this line of work? Well, you know, it's interesting. So um, I am an RN, and many, many years ago, um, 
beyond 25 years ago. Um, as I worked as a nurse, I began to understand that really business, uh, medicine is a business. And if I am to be an advocate for the patient, I need to understand that. And so as I continued through the years of my work as a hospital administrator, critical care nurse, real nurse, and then moving into the insurance um, side of the organizations um, across the United States, and then actually working for manufacturers and distribution organizations, I began looking at what was happening within the pipeline. Um, when you look at the medications that are being developed um, today, they they are expensive medications, but they're also life-improving and and often actually stopping the disease progression. And and so when you look at that, it becomes very complicated for those patients who are facing chronic diseases, um, including cancer, which falls in a chronic disease category today. Um, how to navigate the system of insurance um, and then managing life at the same time. Um, so that's what brought me um, to where I am today. So a long pathway. No, it takes a special soul to want to be a nurse. So just out of the gate, did you go to school for that? I did, and I actually graduated from the Army School of Nursing and um, then went on and got both my bachelor's and my master's uh, in business. Um, going along that continuum, but remaining in healthcare. Did you work with uh, veterans or pediatrics? What was your specialty? So um, mostly um, with adults, although I have worked in the pediatric population, but more around uh, trauma and then into chronic disease, um, specifically focusing on oncology and nephrology, and um, and then as a hospital administrator, covering all avenues um, of you know from which a hospital operates. And you've been doing this long enough to know how much more complicated the things have gotten. Oh, absolutely. And then as you look at the pipeline of drugs, there's classifications referred to as orphan and ultra-orphan um, classifications. And those are for drugs that really fill unmet needs, so smaller populations, um, but really looking at um, diseases that are horrific. And, and so now you see those coming to market, such as in oncology. Right. So tell us about uh, Synexus Health and Cardinal Health. What, what role do those uh, organizations play in the spectrum of healthcare? Okay. Well, Cardinal Health is one of the, the top organizations that provide distribution to uh, drug organizations or manufacturers. So they go out into the retail environment um, as well as through specialty distribution. And the reason it's referred to as specialty distribution is because there's many nuances um, to those drugs. For example, a drug could go out at minus 80 degrees um, and then deliver to a hospital to be given to a patient at a certain temperature. Or it may mean that it has to go out just at a certain time um, in the patient's treatment process. So it's very organized. Um, what Synexus Health does is actually support manufacturers in bringing drug to market, supporting services that are outward facing to patients, supporting them with reimbursement issues and as well as how to manage side effects, um, how to report side effects, uh, and just the actual uh, navigation process 
of getting through whether it's Medicare or the exchanges or whatever the pathway may be, may be for that patient and the physician to actually get access to the drug. You know, you're bringing up something interesting that I haven't even thought of, not that I'm anyone special in this, but not every drug is room temperature. That That's something to really consider. So tell, tell us more about that. Sure. So when you look at what a drug temperature um, needs or what a drug needs to be kept at as far as temperature as well as humidity. So all these things come into play and including light. So if it's just sitting out in the retail market, then that can be kept at a 75 to 80 degree and then it has a range. But when you're talking about very specialized products, they may go out freeze, um, dried for example, then have to be reconstituted and then only reconstituted in certain solutions, or it may have to be sent out frozen, or maybe just chilled. Uh, and so again, the channels in which that's distributed really needs to be controlled. There are some drugs that have a very short lifespan, and so therefore need to be manufactured and then immediately sent out to that patient, or they may have a shelf life of two years, three years, maybe even five. So all those nuances need to be taken into play when you're looking at um, all of the aspects of commercializing and sending drug out to patients. Right, and I would imagine that even the slightest gap in efficiency and effectiveness could, could, could taint outcomes for certain patients, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that's what's key. Um, and, you know, when we open up those um, bottles or boxes and you see all of that fine print information, those are the safety guards um, or the safety rails about which that drug can be kept at, whether, again, it's at room temperature in a certain amount of humidity versus in bright sunlight um, and in a very dry environment so that you can receive the best outcomes. Yeah, I, uh, I spent a decade in the, uh, on the client side in the pharmaceutical agency world, and I remember the uh, copywriters coming up with those tiny little folded pieces of paper and the, 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 the ad, ad guys, the design guys designing them. It really is incredible fine print. Yes, yes. And then you have to take into play, so what other medications is the patient currently taking? Right. Um, what are the allergies that the patient may have? Even to the point of cultural and religious background, um, so what is the manufacturing environment um, that it's been created in? So there's a lot of nuances, let alone looking at regulatory, which you have state licenses, so as a drug passes through different states, um, how are we keeping track of that drug? Um, then you get into controlled substances. That's another whole layer. So it is very complicated. Everyone is N of one. It, it's nearly, it sounds in, incomprehensible to actually get done, but it does get done, correct? It does get done. It gets done very well here in the United States, even though it is complicated, um, and it continues to get more complicated all the time. And that leads me to the, a nice segue here to adherence and compliance. We run a great charity here and we deal largely with teenagers 20 30 somethings it's hard enough for them to stay compliant on homework let alone taking medications for any chronic diseases have you noticed uh, different ways to address that from an age perspective yes indeed and even from a hobby perspective if you would so when you talk about um, an individual one is to understand their current age and where they're at in the life cycle. 
um, what their abilities are. Can they actually unscrew a lid? Um, can they give a, a self-injection? The other component is what's their level of understanding and interest. Some people do not care to actually control uh, and and really uh, manipulate their disease process. Others want another individual to take care of them. Where others really want to understand every single thing that's happening within their body and, and to them. So it's really understanding what are the patient's motivations. Um, and is there a target that's just ahead of them? Like, can we get somebody healthy enough, strong enough to actually attend a daughter's wedding um, versus a graduation in two years? Uh, or is it someone who just wants to be able to get up from the bed and be able to get to the chair um, so they can interact with, with a spouse? Right. So it's taking it down to that very narrow perspective and looking for specific wins and, and how to manage to get to those wins. Right. And, and I, I, again, with our, our demographic, we've seen a lot of interest in you know, the gamification of adherence which mm-hmm. is interesting to teenagers. I found that we did a show recently with one of our nonprofit partners who've developed a video game or an app at this point. It's not, we're beyond video games, right? an app on your phone that helps people, uh, helps largely teenagers engage with compliance through like a shoot 'em up of your cancer. It's really interesting. But I look at, you know, from our perspective, like we, we, we asked uh, a survey on our wall. We have about 300,000 people on Facebook. We asked a very simple survey how many pills? Do you take a day, and how do you manage your regiment? And between 1,800 comments, no one said the same thing. So yes. to me, it's fascinating. What is your perspective on that? And, and, you know, we, we're saying we do a really good job, but how is that manifesting? Well, I think to begin with, it's understanding that no one's cookie cutter. You know, I may like a certain amount of salt on my food versus somebody else. And so as a medical provider someone who interacts with patients, I need to take in that individual that's sitting either across from me on the phone or sitting directly in front of me and understand what their lifestyle is like, what they, what they enjoy doing, how they like to communicate, and then really fine-tuning how I'm going to communicate with them, whether that's through an application, um, you know, whether that's a video game, such as you said, or some type of game to that younger population. Is it text messaging? Is it reminders? Is it a phone call? Um, it, we have to set up the, to the individual's priorities as they see them. And one of the things that I really look at is how can I teach an individual to cheat their disease? No one is compliant 100% of the time in anything that we do in our lives. And so if I can give them safety parameters to live within and and teach them how to cheat that disease process, then it's a win. Understood. And we will be successful. So let's, I guess, it's a good, nice, uh, we can pivot over to the payer conversation because insurance in and of itself is a calamity in this country. And the Affordable Care Act changed a lot of things, made things a little better, a little different. Um, what is your, uh, you've been doing this clearly like 20 years long before we have the system we have today. How has uh, the Affordable Care Act impacted your work? Well, it's, it's been very favorable and, and hopefully it will continue to be favorable. Most of the specialty drugs um, 
that we work within are on the exchange formularies. And, it, and of course, that will change year to year. And so it really behooves everyone to do their homework. And so one of the things that we really suggest an individual to do or have someone help them do it is, one, to sit down in a very comfortable position, have a list of all their drugs and medications out in front of them, understand exactly who their physician names are and, and the name of their facility because you want to make sure they're, they're in network, and then you, you want to start searching the exchanges. And, and looking to make sure that your disease is covered, the drug is covered, that your physician is prescribing, and that your physician is in network. And, and you can do that. Um, it, again, it's very much like playing a game, and to have that kind of um, attitude or challenge, um, that, that's what you need to be prepared to do. But the information is there. It's, it's just ferreting through the exchanges. One of the... Uh... The reason we exist as an organization is because <clears throat> outcomes in young adults have proven to be relatively stagnant, but one of the issues is really understanding how to get access to care and that young adults who are largely employed are typically underinsured, which is often not well understood in conversations because typically, oh, you have insurance, you'll be fine, and you're not. Can we talk about uh, the underinsured? Absolutely. So there's opportunities with that underinsured. And again, it's, it's looking at the exchanges or going out and looking at commercial plans. And you can do that by going to healthcare.gov and then dropping in your specific state and then going down and drilling down into the disease state. And as you move through that process, you can evaluate the different plans around your disease process. So that's well and good if you're in the process of enrolling. And we're going into an enrollment period right now. It starts November 1. And so you need to be diligent in starting that process. And then that process for enrollment under the exchanges will stop January 31st. And the only way that you can get enrolled into a program thereafter is you have to have a life-changing event. And that life-changing event can be such as getting married, um, losing your job, or losing benefit coverage, and, and a couple of other things, and then you can go ahead and look for new enrollment. Now, as far as other opportunities, one is to go and look at a specific drug um, that, you, that you are taking or that, are, that you are going to be prescribed. To go out to the Internet, Again, search on that particular drug name or disease state, look up that drug, look up that manufacturer, and then if you go to that web page, you will find that most manufacturers offer some type of assistance. Um, if you're already insured by the government, whether Medicaid or Medicare, then you'll need to look for assistance under foundations. But again, it's it's looking at those search engines and diving into that information. Right, which opens and there up are, a, sorry, our resources. No, yeah, and I think that that is one of the least. Um, this is bad grammar on purpose. The least taken advantage of thing <laughs> out there mm -hmm. is is a financial assistance through the pharmaceutical industry. Many people are not even aware that it's possible to have that available to them. 
And oftentimes, you know, we, we can spend probably three or four shows concurrently talking about the pitfalls of Dr. Google. But in terms of, you know, then you have to make sure that the company's reimbursement page or financial assistance page has the right SEO that blogs about how people love or hate this drug and side effects are not going to contaminate your search. There's so much dimensionality to getting access to that resource. There is. Um, and, and so, again, that's why I'm saying go directly. Um, I wouldn't end up in a chat room. I would go no, definitely to the manufacturer's <laughs> webpage. No chat rooms. So, Pardon me? No, I said absolutely no chat rooms. Zero chat rooms. Yes. <laughs> go to, directly to the websites. Uh, what percentage of the uh, drug companies have uh, patient assistance programs? Do you know? Yeah, so the drugs that um, are offered, for example, in oncology or any of the rare diseases, 98% of them have patient assistance programs. They, they are very willing to provide assistance and do a great job. What happens if you are picking your drug up in the retail environment, that retail pharmacy often doesn't have time to go and learn about or instruct the patient to go into the manufacturer's assistance programs. And so that it's not teed up in that area. Often physicians, um, they're so busy, they're not really well um, educated about the process that a manufacturer may be providing. And so the patient's out the door um, or overwhelmed and doesn't hear what's been suggested. And so, again, that's where you need to go back to your advocacy groups for your particular disease or out to the manufacturer or the drug brand's page uh, to look it up that you can get that assistance. Right. And that also speaks to, and we've done podcasts on this subject, the um, acts, like resource literacy. Who is it? Is it a shared responsibility between patients being their own advocates and the providers they're seeing to understand or know what you can or cannot have access to? So you, like we said, is it really the doctor's full responsibility to tell you everything you need to know about this? I'd rather have them cure me. But then does that then fall to the nurse, the nurse navigator, the clinical care coordinator, the social worker, or then you and the Internet? It really is down to what? It, 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 there really is no immediate, like, flip a switch answer. No, there is not. You know, when we go buy a car, there's nobody that's out there that um, is there assisting you along the whole process. Everybody's got their own opinion. Uh, you have to go out and look at what the consumers are writing about that particular car. You have to go in and look at what the sticker price is, and then you have to negotiate from there. You know, if we're going to take as much consideration in buying a car as we do with our bodies, then we must take the time to understand what's being prescribed to us, go look it up under that manufacturer's page, and look for that assistance. Um, you know, it's. I wish there was a, a very easy and simple way, but there isn't in today's world. Right. We need like Siri for healthcare navigation. Yes. <laughs> let's get it on that right now. Wonderful. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the actual payers, the insurance industry itself. They work with algorithms and actuaries to crunch numbers on what reimbursables are and copays. Can you talk about where we are in the state of copays in terms of? first-line drugs, second-line drugs, and things like that? Absolutely. But if we could, let's take a step back for just a moment and talk about two classifications that all benefits fall under. Sure. So 
you have the medical benefit side, which is usually um, falling under a physician's services. And there are drugs that fall under that medical benefit side as well. Now, most of those drugs then are, are a chemotherapy given through an IV, or it's a drug that's oral but has to be given during a treatment process um, that the patient, excuse me, the physician is overseeing. So that medical benefit um, has its own category and its own, its own display within a formulary. And then you move to the pharmacy benefit side, and this is most often where self-administered medication or medication that's going to be taken in the home environment and does not require medical professional oversight, that's where that, that benefit falls under. So it behooves the patient to understand, is this a medical benefit or is it a pharmacy benefit? Because you're going to start to go down two different pathways. And then when you move under that pharmacy benefit, that's where you need to understand, is this a specialty drug? In other words, is it a drug that needs special handling? Because if it's going to need special handling, it's usually going to um, have additional needs. So it's going to require possibly a prior auth or even an appeal, depending on where it lands on the formulary and the cost. Um, and, and so certain drugs need to go through those processes. In all of those environments where there's a prior author and appeal that's in place, then a physician needs to do some additional um, filling out of information, showing that, one, maybe you failed some other drugs that were in, uh, earlier up on the formulary, um, or maybe you have um, other needs that only this particular brand drug can support. But it does take time for that physician to fill out that information, and there's a delay in getting that drug out to the patient. So those are things to consider and understand when you're going in and receiving a prescription. Right. And then when you get into copays, and there there are a number of different types of copays, coinsurance, and deductibles that again we need to understand. Um, you know, when you get into deductible, most people understand that because they've had a car. They understand there's a, a deductible on their car insurance, and so you have to meet so much out-of-pocket expenditure before your insurance picks up. And then when you get into coinsurance and copays, that's where there's a split between what you're going to be paying and what your insurance company is going to be paying. So as you get into these uh, specialized drugs, there are different copays associated with those drugs. And they may be higher because the insurance carrier is trying to manage the cost. And so they're going to make sure that that patient understands that there's going to be a higher uh, out-of-pocket expense, a higher payment that they're going to have to provide in order to get that, that coverage. Now, again, when you have those copays, and it, it's too expensive. There's, there are opportunities to go out to the manufacturer's organization, um, look at that particular brand drug again, and find out if there's a copay available. Um, the manufacturer's programs will help or assist with that copay. Uh, the other opportunity then is to go and pick up a supplemental insurance plan that can help you cover those copays. Right. So there's different avenues in troubleshooting that. 
So Jan, is it is it is it worth? I mean, so let's say we explore the um, the option of going right to the uh, company that makes the medicines. Is there a value to negotiating or, or putting in, um, I think you file claims with the insurance companies and fighting them, or is that not even the right way to explain it? You know, it, it's pretty difficult to do that. I, I would say, you know, just my personal opinion, um, it's a losing battle at this point. I think that there's opportunities to write to your, your legislation um, agent and and start talking um, about that. But you as an individual, I'm not sure that you can fight that battle um, easily. What I do think that you can do is um, talk to your physician, uh, again, going out, searching uh, the search engines, looking for support um, around the copay and seeing what the manufacturer offers. Uh, there's certainly, you know, again, there are really great programs that these manufacturers offer and that we just don't see them being tapped into often enough. Right, and I mentioned that before. I, I feel it's, it is the most underutilized resource out there to millions of people every single day. Can can you think of a reason why they're so underpromoted? For a couple of reasons. Um, one is there's a lot of regulatory um, around that. So a manufacturer has to be very careful on how they educate regarding a specific program, um, a marketing program that they may have. Because it's thrown into the marketing category, even though that manufacturer is very interested in really assisting patients, because of the regulatory constraints, they're not allowed to promote it. um, in certain light or, or in certain ways. So it's very restrictive. The other side of the coin, again, remembering that medicine is a business, is when you look at pharmacies, for example, retail, they, their job is to go ahead and dispense a lot of drug. They make money on the number of dispenses that they do each day. So taking the time to go look up a manufacturer's specific program is, is time-consuming. And so that, that doesn't happen. When you look at large specialty pharmacies, so mail order pharmacies that are owned by the insurance carrier, they are in place to manage the cost of that disease process. So again, it, they're going to keep you within that formulary. And if this is a drug that is maybe second, third, fourth tier, um, they'd rather have you not taking that particular drug, there's going to be more managed care roadblocks in place. Uh, Very well said. Very mm -hmm. well said. Um, We have about uh, four minutes left. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the national patient advocate groups you may have worked with who do a really good job in helping augment the patient experience. Oh, absolutely. And there there are so many, and there's more coming about every single day. So when you get into first line, and again, I'm going to be speaking about cancer at this point, oncology. So if you're newly diagnosed, of course, there's a Susan B. Komen. There there is cancer care. There is Armstrong. Um, So for those patients that are now third and fourth line, they've had regrowth of their disease process. There's been some type of mutation. There are fantastic organizations, foundations that are coming about that only focus on patients who have had failure and are now moving on to second and third and fourth line drugs. 
and there's there's many of them out there. There's also great advocacy groups um, that are specific to a certain disease process, so small uh, cell lung CA um, versus you know hepatic. Um, again, it's just looking there on the internet and and reaching out to them. I wouldn't want to name many more just because there's going to be those that I, I can't name and, right. and there are wonderful groups out there. No, it's like you just want an Emmy and you can't say anybody because you'll forget everybody. <laughs> just like that. Exactly like that. Uh, but but there is help. There is hope. Um, there is assistance out there. And so I know that this is a very difficult pathway to maneuver, but but there is there is assistance out there. So let me um, ask you, just in wrapping up here, you have a master's in public administration. Have you had any role or, or have any interest in, in the legislative process for all of this? No, not really. What I would like to do is, is take our legislature organization and actually have them be a patient for a day. <laughs> yeah, let's do that, as I laugh yeah. hysterically in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- that would be a, a great, a great thing to do on my bucket list, so that they can understand how convoluted and difficult it has become for patients and physicians and manufacturers um, to do the right thing and get the drug to the patient. Yeah, certainly not easy in any way. But man, what I, what what a great day that would be if we could get everyone to just be a patient for a day all at once at, in the same uh, in the same room. <laughs> Yes. So they can experience waiting, which is really nice. So Exactly. Jan, I've really, really enjoyed this. We'd love to have you back. Again, this could be like an hour-long show. It never ends down the rabbit hole. But uh, Jan Nielsen, uh, leader at the Synexus Health Group within Cardinal Health, Master's in Public Administration, a nurse by training at the U.S. Army School of Nursing. And I, I have to say this, recognized as one of the 100 most inspiring people in healthcare by Pharma Voice 2014. Not a shabby accomplishment. Very impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank it's been you. a pleasure talking no, to you. No, thank you. Yeah, take care. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Jane Nielsen, everyone. All right. That's our show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on this special sponsored episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. I'd like to thank our guest, Jan Nielsen from Synexus Health and Cardinal Health, for trying to explain to us the insane nuances of our healthcare system. Never miss an episode of The Stupid Cancer Show by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, following us on SoundCloud, broadcasting since 2007. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck and on behalf of my whole team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as I did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.